0: Welcome to Episode 5 of the Crane Cares Community Podcast. My name is Michael Hostetler, and I'm the Vice President of Marketing for Crane Credit Union. Today we have United States Representative Trey Hollingsworth, who serves Indiana's 9th District. Hollingsworth has served in Congress since 2017. In addition to serving in the House of Representatives, Hollingsworth is a small business owner. We discussed how this experience affects how he views his position as a legislator and how these insights have influenced his work as part of the House Financial Services Committee. In addition, we talked about Indiana small businesses and how they can recover from the COVID-19 pandemic. Enjoy. Congressman Hollingsworth, welcome to the podcast. How are you today?
1: Great to be here. Thanks so much for having me.
0: We are uh, so excited to uh, to have you. Me especially, I, I have the opportunity to work at our Franklin branch uh, for the credit union, and you are the uh, our representative here in the ninth district. And had the chance to speak to you before, so uh, definitely a uh, a great opportunity to, to get to uh, talk to you today about the work you're doing in Washington and uh, all the great work you're doing for the state. I, I wanted to start with yep. um, you know since we're a credit union and and um, you know, the work that we do in Washington to uh, inform uh, representatives like yourself about our legislative priorities is a, is a very important part of what credit unions do, especially at the state level. And you're actually a member of the House Financial Services Committee, which is really great. Um, can you tell our listeners how that work uh, on that committee really affects the, the daily banking life of our credit union members?
1: Absolutely. And I love exactly the way you put it. So many of our credit unions all the way across the district, all the way across the state, all the way across the country come to Washington, not just to advocate for themselves, by the way, and what might benefit the credit unions, but really advocate on behalf of their members. Talk about the things that their members are seeing talk about the things their members are experiencing talk about the opportunities to serve those members in a wider variety of ways and that's what's so exciting about working closely with our credit unions is that alignment of interest between members and the institution itself and so i always love the opportunity to to meet with the credit unions to talk with credit unions in district to talk with credit unions across the state because your issues are really your members' issues. And your members' issues are really, frankly, American issues. And we've certainly seen a lot of challenges over the last 12 months with the pandemic and the attendant recession. And we wanted to make sure in Washington that policy reflects the needs of American families, the needs of American businesses, and certainly the needs of our financial services system to be able to serve both of those. And so I've am a diehard banner waving believer in financial services ability to empower individuals to live better lives, whether that's buying a home, buying a car, sending a kid to college, getting a job, finding temporary cash when you need help in between jobs. It is financial services that truly makes so much of what we want to see happen in our lives happen for us. And so I my job is to make sure I'm advocating for you guys, advocating for the greater financial system so that Americans feel like their financial dreams are in reach.
0: Now, now you mentioned some of those issues being um, more brought to the forefront by the pandemic. Is there anything specifically that that you have discussed that people are facing more now than ever as a result
1: of COVID-19? Well, honestly, what hasn't been upended as a result of COVID-19, <laughs> <laughs> frankly? Uh, life certainly is very very different today than it was 12 months ago was very very different on april 15th as opposed to february 15th of last year and i've been a bit an advocate across a wide variety of dimensions for how do we not only get through this how do we thrive through this and how do we make sure as we exit this pandemic that we are in the best possible position and that really means a wide variety of things frankly number one from a financial standpoint, how are we supporting our small local businesses as they dealt with a tremendous drop in demand, right? How do we make sure that they retain employees and have the ability to pay those employees throughout that period? And we've enacted a lot of policies last year to make sure that we were doing those things, whether it's the Paycheck Protection Program, whether it's expanding and extending SBA loans and payment programs there, whether it's in making sure that our employees that did lose their job had unemployment benefits, all of these things to help make sure that American businesses and the American economy got through that period as best as possible. And I'm happy to report, frankly, that we've seen robust economic growth since the end of the recession. Right. We had the largest drop in economic output recorded in the last hundred years for America. But luckily. If there is a silver lining to that. It only occurred over a five month period. And by June, July, August, we were already growing again. And many industries are already back above their pre-pandemic levels. So that transitions to what are we doing now? So do, what are we doing now is making sure that those industries that aren't back at their pre-pandemic levels, that they've got the extra support that they needed, right? Whether it's our shuttered venues across the country that can't yet welcome audiences back or our hotels that can't yet welcome guests back. We've got to make sure that we're supporting those businesses because frankly, we've already recovered about 16 of 22 million jobs that we lost last year, but the other 6 million are really in those very beleaguered industries, hospitality, travel, transportation, venues and those uh, that support venues and then restaurants, of course, as well. And frankly, I was actually in Franklin doing a walking tour of many of those locations that have been just just decimated by this pandemic to make sure that they know that we're working hard to develop policies to help those most dramatically affected get through this. I was at RFD. I was at the theater there. I stopped in the the local frame shop. We're just walking downtown on a small business tour to make sure that ultimately their issues I hear about so I can take those back to Washington to work on what matters most to American businesses and American families.
0: Yeah, it's great to hear that, you know, you've you've you really take that time to to visit, um, you know, again, some of those businesses I'm very familiar with working here. Uh, is there a reason why you didn't stop by the credit union or I mean, we would have we would have loved to have you at least next time.
1: Where, where was my invitation? Where <laughs> was my invitation? Absolutely. Well, I would love to stop by as soon as possible. Frankly, I think it is the most important thing I do. Which is getting out and listening to people, whether that's having town halls, having meetings with constituents, stopping by local businesses, hearing from expert groups as well it's making sure I'm listening is the most important part of my job, so frankly, I'd love to stop by the branch if you'll have me Well,
0: consider this your your invitation. well, we'd love to have you and uh the girls here are actually really great uh great cooks so we'll we'll arrange a little pitching for you too get you some good uh good home <laughs> cooking.
1: Um, I like that. Well, I will tell you what. Actually, Michael Grimm is our field rep, and I'll make sure that Michael knows that he should put it on the list for the next field day that we have, which is in early March up there in Franklin. Excellent.
0: Hopefully, the weather's better by then. Yeah,
1: <laughs> indeed.
0: No um, Dodge less snow. So, you, you talked a little bit about this, you know, small business relief, and we've had the opportunity on the podcast to uh, to talk to Congressman Baird. Uh, about some of these issues, we've talked to uh, Lagoda Mayor uh, Noel Hardy. It uh, was our first episode, and we specifically talked about a few businesses in the Lagoda area that were having trouble. Now, you have a really unique background for a congressman, at least in my opinion, where you know, you, you are a small business owner, and you, and right. and now you you're working in Washington. You know has that changed your perspective on, on these issues since that you've dealt with them firsthand? And is that a unique experience in, in Congress to come from a, a small business background and now be a representative?
1: Well, it definitely is a unique experience. And so much of what I learned in business, what I've seen in business, what I've experienced in business myself has helped inform the policies that come out of Washington. And I think, frankly, it's the reason I went to Washington, because I felt like Washington wasn't listening to American businesses. Washington wasn't helping American small businesses. Washington wasn't helping America's employees get ahead. And I want better policies out of Washington, because I think the most fundamental narrative that we have as a country is that the future is going to be better than the past and it's up to us to make sure that that is the case and so much of that is around our economic future making sure that the next generation of americans feels like not only can they participate in this economic system but they can thrive in this economic system they can pair out their passions in this economic system and so it's so important to me to make sure that the policies that emanate from Washington truly reflect the needs of American small businesses, truly reflect the needs of America's families. You can't do that without the right experience. I think this whole business about professional politicians that are in DC for 30 years, I think that's what's wrong with this country. I think that's what's wrong with this government. We need people of real experience that have real passion for changing the way Washington works to truly reflect what we want here at home. And look, the reality is, Small business people don't have a monopoly on all the experience in the world. We've got great teachers that could pour out great education policy. We've got great doctors and nurses and healthcare professionals that could pour out great healthcare policy. But from my standpoint, I'm a small business owner. A guy that has tried to start small businesses, gotten them started, gotten them successful, and have been through the ups and downs of economic recessions. And making sure that I get good economic policy to help Hoosier families, help Hoosier businesses is the number one priority.
0: So one of the things you mentioned is that you want to make sure that you know businesses and their employees are prepared to to thrive in the economic system. And it's one of those topics that we've talked about before Crane, uh, the credit union having such a close relationship in history with the Crane Naval Facility, of course, and now all the technology that is being built in that area to not only support Crane, but uh, more in the fields of of STEM, basically, you know, science, technology, and engineering and things like that. With coming out of this pandemic and now so many things changing with, with how we work remotely and things we do how do you anticipate that economic system changing for consumers? Is it, or, or for employees, is it, you know, are we going to be having to develop new skill sets? Are we going to have changes in automation and and data and all those things? You know, how does, how do those issues affect what you do in Washington?
1: It's such a, It's such a great question. And look, I'm not going to pretend like I've got all the answers to how our lives are going to change going forward on, a, on account of this pandemic, but let's just, let's just, Take a couple of snapshots. Right. Let's try to imagine what it would have been like to experience this pandemic, not 40 years ago, not 30 years ago, but even just 15 years ago. Right. You would have experienced this pandemic without any Zoom, without FaceTime, without iPhones in many places and most places at that time. In fact, without high speed Internet. Our experience of this pandemic is wildly different today than it would have been just a decade and a half ago. I think that shows the rapid pace of technology in being able to improve our lives, to be able to keep us more connected, but also, as you well said, you know, presents real challenges. I mean, there are opportunities that have arisen during this pandemic, despite its terrible and tragic toll, one of which is telemedicine, right? In February, virtually no telemedicine appointments were done via Medicare. And then by April, over 50% of all appointments on Medicare were, or routine appointments on Medicare were done by a telemedicine. I mean, it's an enormous growth and acceleration of a trend that happened because of this. I think there's going to be a lot of changes that evolve out of what we've learned in the pandemic. We've learned a lot about How much do we need to be in an office? How much should we have in-person doctor's appointments? How much schooling will happen on snow days, for example, which we've seen in Franklin the last couple of days? (laughs) Or or the virtual learning. I think there's a lot of opportunities that when we step back and after the terrible tragedy, the terrible loss, the terrible stories that we've certainly experienced about this, that we might be able to say, what are the places where We can take all of that and make it into something better for this country and you know we've seen some of that in in many of the areas i've talked about we've seen some areas where policy needs to improve to get to better outcomes and allow those things to happen i think a lot of things are going to change but the one thing i know that continues to be important is the pace of technology can improve our lives so investing more in basic research investing more in education around stem investing more to where we can be the leaders around the world in these technologies whether it's in biotech i mean thank god so many smart people were able to come up with a vaccine in less than 10 months that's 95% effective right or whether it's in some of the work that goes on at crane and that is transferable to the commercial sector to improve our lives i mean you know my grandfather used to talk about how the space race you know really led to the commercialization of lasers of computers of printers of autopilot technology and airplanes etc i mean you know we shouldn't neglect the fact that in eras of great change also come great opportunities along with some of the great tragedies
0: that's, that's a fantastic point to make and certainly you know we're seeing those changes firsthand here at the credit union and learning how to not only serve our members to the uh, service level that they expect, but to try and do it as as efficiently as possible. And and uh, even when we've had our lobbies closed, trying to teach people how to use uh, self service technology and and use ATMs, it's been a challenge, but it's also been a great resource for those folks to learn uh, you know, how to do their banking a little bit differently. Um, so again, we, we've touched on yeah, the, we've, t- we've touched on the pandemic a little bit and, uh, and things are yeah. going. So, um, I think the news out of Indiana has been great with, uh, with governor Holcomb and getting vaccines distributed and, and so few, um, doses being wasted. Um, you know, you're in Washington and you're traveling back and forth to Indiana. Uh, we're sitting here mid February. We're coming up on, you know, almost a year of when things started getting a little crazy, you know, what's your outlook now on, on COVID-19 and, and how do you think? Uh, How do you think things are going
1: well the good news i think for everybody is we are nearing the end of the pandemic we are not at the end and vigilance is still required following all of the best safety protocols are still required but we're nearing the end i think we've seen cases in indiana under a thousand for three straight days now we've seen cases come down by over 50% in the last couple of weeks nationally we've seen cases down 40% in just the last 2 weeks over 50% in the last 2 months this is really really impressive work some of this It's just because we're out of the holiday season, right? People aren't gathering together in the same way that they were before. And frankly, this enormous ice and snowstorm that has blanketed much of the country will probably only accelerate that because people have been so isolated by virtue of not being able to get out um, and go to their local restaurant or go to their local theater or go gather with friends and family. And so I think we're going to see case counts continue to accelerate downwards, at least temporarily, as we're kind of in the doldrums of winter when there aren't many holidays or reasons to get together. Vaccinations obviously are in Increasing across the country shots are going in arms which won't have the effect of stopping coronavirus altogether but it will certainly limit dramatically its ill effects across the country and this, those that might be um, experience the most severe of symptoms will be limited so I, I think this is all these are all huge steps and I'm really frankly excited not only about where we are in terms of the health crisis thanks to the hard work of so many of our healthcare heroes and the biotech researchers that came up with the vaccine. But I'm also really excited about the economic outlook going forward. Provided we don't see terrible regulatory burden or job killing $15 minimum wage going forward, I think that there's a real opportunity for the economy to boom going forward. We've seen $2 trillion in net household saving gains over the last 16 months. That's nearly 10% of the economy because people couldn't travel, they couldn't go to concerts, they couldn't go out to eat it the same way that they were before. And so, and much of that obviously is due to some of the income transfers that came from the federal government. But people will be eager to return to those experiences, those gatherings, those restaurants, those theaters, those hotels, those resorts, all of these things again. And I think that's going to drive economic growth Going forward, so I'm really hopeful that the momentum that is building in the economy and has been building will continue to build, so that more and more Americans can get back to work, more and more businesses start to recover the lost earnings that they've had and repair their balance sheets, and so that American families feel like their financial future is back under their control, as opposed to being under COVID's control.
0: I want to uh, to move a little bit to you know, kind of the personal side of 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 uh of what you do, Congressman. And, you know, I had a chance to, to do some research prior to talking today and, and you and you brought it up earlier in our conversation. Um, you know, you're you're an advocate for term limits in Congress. And you made mention of, you know, people who serve in in, in Congress for, you know, thirty years or so. And and I read somewhere that your plan is to only serve eight years in Congress. Uh, which you know, right. seems like a relatively short term considering some people who have been in Congress for a long time. Um, what do you think you'll do after you're done with Congress? Will you go back to being a small business owner? Or are you going to take some time, play some golf? Or you know, what, what do you think
1: you'll end up doing? Well, a couple of things. Number one. Eight years may seem like a short period of time, but having to sit in D.C. and see some of the terrible things you you see in policymakers in D.C. and how the sausage is made, it feels like an eternity so far, Um, not just like six short years. Look, I think that as Gandhi famously said, you have to be the change you wanna see in the world. And I believe in term limits because I believe that the power of this country should be in the hands of the American people, not in the hands of the same 435 politicians in D.C., cycle after cycle, decade after decade. And getting new experience into Washington is the key to solving age-old problems in new and innovative ways. And the only way we get new people in Washington is to make sure the old people, and not just old by age, but old that have been there for a long time, get out of Washington. And so I, I am the House's biggest proponent of term limits. I am the House's biggest proponent of lobbying bans to make sure that we get to a Washington that reflects the greatness of the American people. Not just reflects the same 435 people with the same ideas cycle after cycle. And as for me, tell you what, my golf game is terrible. I've only played once in my life. um, And so certainly won't be playing any golf. Want to make sure that I'm doing everything I can to help Hoosiers move forward every single day while I'm in office.
0: One of the things that uh, we talked a little bit before we we started the interview today, and something I was really interested in, um, you know, we're we about the we're about the same age. You, you've got me for about a year, um, and I, I was looking through your biography and uh, saw that you, you know, you've been married to your wife Kelly for for about seven years. You know, not 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 a long time, and uh, you've got a, a new son, Joseph, and uh, I thought that was really unique for someone serving in congress and was really interested to hear you know what what that experience is like having a having a young family and and doing work in washington and traveling back and forth to indiana and you know how how do you manage those priorities with being a legislator and uh, having yeah. a young family at home
1: Well, it's such a such a thoughtful question. I appreciate you mentioning both Kelly and and Joseph, my wife, I and Joseph live down in Jeffersonville, continue to live in Jeffersonville. We are not ever moving to Washington. And so it is very, very hard to to leave my wonderful family on Mondays and come back on Thursdays or Fridays and miss some of those tremendous experiences with my son or wonderful experiences as a family that we could have. But it's important. I want to make sure that everyone feels like their kid's future is going to be bright. And just like I want Joseph's future to be bright. And so this is an opportunity for me to play a small role in helping Hoosier families move ahead in some way, a small role in helping Hoosier families feel like their futures are in their control. And so number one, it's hard. It's hard leaving uh, my my son, who doesn't want me to leave on Mondays frequently, um, and miss so many of the great experiences that we could have together. But at the same time, just like my small business experience informs better policy, having a little one informs better policy about education about how we could improve our collective futures and so i think that's really really important and again it kind of reflects the fact that we want real people doing real things in washington or before they go to washington so that they get better outcomes for americans while in washington and so it's certainly a personal challenge but i think it adds to the texture of my understanding of so so many of the issues that americans face today whether that's kids not in school and Having to to teach them at home or trying to balance that work life and family life, making sure that we everybody gets the opportunity to put food on their table and all of those things that are important to Hoosier families—they're important to to my Hoosier family as well.
0: Well, Congressman, that's uh, that's what we love to hear, and certainly uh, a Hoosier at heart doing uh, great work for um, the, the citizens in the ninth district in the state of Indiana. And particularly, uh, we thank you for your work on the House Financial Services Committee and being such an, an advocate for credit unions. And again, we we'll extend my invitation to make sure you stop in Franklin and, and come see us, and we'll make sure that uh, that you're well taken care of with a with a good meal and a good conversation. And uh, again, hopefully see you around Franklin soon. I appreciate your time today. I know you're very busy, and thank you for taking the time to to record this podcast and speak directly with our members, and listeners. Thank you so much, Congressman.
1: I'm delighted to do it. I can't wait to see you soon. Everybody be safe with that snow out there. Thank you, sir.
0: Thank you for listening. To learn more about Crane Credit Union, visit us online at cranecu.org.